Hey, hey, it's your girl Carla Renata for episode 49 of The Curvy Critic. Happy Women's Month, y'all. Medea hit the theaters in second place with 27 million. Got an interview with Quinn Walters from that film and from Apollo 11, Todd Douglas Miller. Stay right there. You're tuned into Black Hollywood Live, the world's first digital broadcast network devoted entirely to urban entertainment and pop culture. Tune in right now. Ooh, I love this new voice. It's a woman's voice in honor of Happy Women's Month. <laughs> I want to give a special shout out to Michael B. and Yasna who are in the chat room. Thank y'all for hanging with a sister on her solo journey today. And welcome back. For anyone who's been here before, it is episode 49 of The Curvy Critic with Carla Renata this Sunday, March 3rd, 2019. Wow. I mean, last Sunday was the Oscars, y'all, and I predicted it right here at Black Hollywood Live that Regina King was going to walk away with that Oscar, and indeed she did. So congratulations to my sister Regina King for winning the Best Supporting Actress in a Motion Picture for If Bill Street Could Talk. Yes, girl, was really happy to see that. But what a lot of people weren't happy about and didn't expect to go down was for Green Book to walk away with Best Picture. I don't have no thoughts about that, but what I do want to say about that is my girl Octavia Spencer won an Oscar for Best Picture because she was one of the producers. So she made history not once, but twice. She made history a couple of years ago, I think, by becoming the first African-American woman to be nominated three times in the Best Supporting Actress category. And she made history last Sunday once again by becoming the first African-American woman to win an Oscar as a producer on a Best Picture nomination for Green Book. So congratulations to my sister Octavia Spencer on her brand new Oscar. Now he got some love and some company up on that shelf in your house. (laughs) So y'all, let's talk about Medea's Family Funeral. It is the last film in the Medea franchise. Personally, I'm kind of sad and it's great to kick off Women's Month with Medea because you know, Medea don't hold no punches and she will come for everybody. She doesn't care whether you are relative, whether she love you or not. She will cut you literally. But one of the sisters that is in Medea's family funeral, which actually hit 27 million at the box office this weekend and it landed in second place. So yay, Mr. Perry, congratulations on that. Quinn Walters and I met in Atlanta when I was working on the Have and the Have Nots, another show which you would notice her from. So I sat down and I chatted with Quinn for quite a minute about Medea's family funeral, her role in it, her role on the Have and the Have Nots, what it's like working for Mr. Perry, um, doing those one-take joints, and a whole lot more. So take a listen. Quinn Walters is a staple of Tyler Perry Studios, having played Gia in The Have and Have Nots, and now she can be seen as Renee in Medea's Family Funeral, the last film in the Medea franchise. I caught up with Quinn in L.A. right as the movie was hitting theaters this weekend. Take a listen. I am speaking with Miss Quinn Walters, a staple of the Tyler Perry production family. And side note, me and Miss Quinn met briefly when I was shooting the Have and the Have Not. So, did. isn't that crazy? That's crazy. And it took me a minute to figure it out, but I figured it out nonetheless. But let's talk about your latest venture, Medea's Family Funeral, which is the last film in this franchise. Yes, yes, I know the last one, and I'm really like shocked that he's doing this to us. 
Carla. You know you got a couple more in you. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> this is the last one. He said he's tired of doing it. He don't want to be the same age as Medea while he's doing Medea. So he's like, I got to put her to bed. But we had a blast doing it. It was so much fun. We all became good friends on the set. We all are on a group chat. We hang out. We didn't know at the time that this was the last one, but I don't know if that, you know, it's just like a uh, subconsciously, we just all kind of gravitated and, and made that, that bond strong. And now that it's the last, we're really like, oh, we love each other. <laughs> Aw, that's wonderful. He has an uncanny knack for creating that type of environment on his yeah. sets. And he works really fast. Can you just speak really quickly? Because let me just say, side note and <laughs> FYI, I did not know when I showed up on that set that he only does literally like one take. Girl, listen. And so, So, I mean, that was daunting for me doing television. I can't even imagine how daunting that is doing a film. And girl, I ran into Mr. Perry about a year ago at the Mm -hmm. night before the Oscars party. Mm -hmm. So I was like, thank you so much for that opportunity. I really appreciate it. And he said to me, I hope you were pleased. I was like, really? You really care about how I feel about my performance? You know, he's that type of man. The speed in which he works, I've never worked that fast, but I always tell people when they ask me about working with him, I felt like I got my PhD in film and television because when you go to set, usually you can like bring a book, you can bring a puzzle because you're probably going to be in your trailer. You know, it's this big hurry up and wait at me usually on most sets and you sit around for most of the day and then you shoot for a little bit well he's the opposite you're constantly shooting you barely get any downtime and he has his schedule panned out so smooth forces you to be ready to you know have all your choices made before you get to set and ready to perform it's go time it's not don't get an opportunity to, to play around and to to be you know unprepared it's like you should have done your homework and now it's time to go to work. This is what I'm paying you to do. Yeah, I you're right. That. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like I do know pressure. what you mean. You're I mean, right. It's yeah. like- you do show up on a set and usually you have hours upon hours to, you know, mm-hmm. find something to do with your time before they call you to the set. And they usually give right. you enough ample time where you can get it together before you step in front of the camera. But <laughs> not at TPP, baby. No, 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 that no. is not I how not they roll. <laughs> it was a trip because I remember one time, the first day I showed up. So I get to set, I go into hair and makeup. The PA said, you know, it's time for you to go. So I said, oh, no, actually, my scene is third from the top. So no. I know they're getting started um, with the first scene. She was like, I know. Yeah, they're on the first scene and you're three. And I was like, so I probably won't be up to like an hour or two, right? She was like, no, you need to go set right now. You're going to be coming up like in a few minutes. I'm like, what? That was my first lesson. It got to a point where, you know, I wanted to have my own time to myself before I just was rushed off onto set. So I would sort of get the transport people in trouble because transportation would come to the hotel and say, we're ready to pick up Quinn. Can't find Quinn. And they'd call on the system and say, oh, Quinn's already on set. So I was getting set an hour early so I could eat breakfast and listen to Sade, get in my zone um, before <laughs> I had to, you know, rush off to set. So, but it was good because it allowed me to know how I needed to work and what I needed to do to get acclimated to the system that Tyler has in place at his studio and that's fine now you play renee in medea's family funeral what can you tell our listeners and the people watching on youtube about renee honey do her and medea get into it because you know medea (laughs) medea comes for everybody no no one is exempt being read by medea listen 
you are absolutely right about that. Uh, the Renee character that I play, you learn she's a troubled woman, unfortunately. <laughs> I gotta say, I don't want to give away too much for people who haven't seen it just yet, but she's a friend of the family as they are preparing for this big funeral. All of these secrets and, and skeletons come out of the closet. Renee is intertwined in all of that mess. <laughs> now you had segued to um, the have and the have nots, and you played Gia. Gia was Gia doing was a lot. lot. Gia was doing the most. So talk okay. to me about how you first came into the role of Gia, how all of that started, because that's how you were introduced to the Tyler Perry family. Actually, it was the reverse. And I think that because the haves and have nots came out first, mm-hmm. and then the movie just came out yesterday, but I shot the film first. It was the second day of shooting the movie, and Tyler pulled me to the side, and he said, are you on a show right now? Are you on the TV show right now? And I said, no. And he said, why not? And I said, I don't know. I, I, I want to be on a show. Do you know somebody that gave me on a show? <laughs> and he said, you know what? I think I may have something for you. Hang tight. So I'm like, is this Hollywood talk or is this real? Like, it's got to be real because it's Tyler Perry. Like, he wouldn't play around, right? Right. So he called me. And I couldn't believe he called my cell phone. He called me. And he's like, this is Tyler. And I just wanted to let you know that I talked to Oprah about you. What? Oprah knows what I look like. Oprah knows my name. Yes, girl. It's her network. Of course she knows. I, I, you know what? You know that. But then you don't actually conceptualize that and so when you hear it said out loud like yeah wow she knows exactly who I am at this point because they work together duh she said you know we may have something for you but just sit tight I don't know so then we finished shooting the movie and it was great then I get to LA two weeks into me being back he said I want you for the haves and have nots come on, come on to Atlanta, come shoot four episodes. And I was so ecstatic. I'm like, yes. But four episodes turned into eight episodes. Eight turned into 12, 12 turned into 16, 16 turned into 20. Shot 20 episodes as GM. I was so happy about that. I love the character art. Started off as this prostitute. Come to find out she's really an informant for the FBI. And she was trying to work off some time uh, by doing this, this dirty work as an informant to try to lessen her jail time she was in prison before it got to be like a cool character to play something that i was so ecstatic about doing something that's way away from who i really am Wow. Miss Quinn, you know, that very rarely happens. People, and this is another thing I want to address while we have two people that have worked for Mr. Perry on on the line. For people who have never worked for him, they are always popping off the mouth saying stuff that's not so lovely. And when I came back from Atlanta and I said that I had been on the have and the have nots, people said, so how was it? Because I heard, I said, let me tell you something. Anybody that says anything negative about Tyler Perry or Tyler Perry Productions has not worked worked for him period and that's all i'm gonna say yeah i guess you would have to be in his presence to really understand the magnitude of the generosity that this man possesses and the the graciousness he's just his heart is is bigger than he is and And he's huge i don't know if you had this moment when you first met him but this is the moment that i had when i first met him and it was so incredibly embarrassing so when i walked onto set for whatever reason i didn't think he was going to be there because i figured having to have nice has been on the air for a minute maybe he's off doing something else and somebody 
else is directing this episode. I wasn't quite sure and I really didn't give give it too much gravity until I walked on the set and he came walking toward me. Now from a distance, he didn't seem like he was that tall. I'm five foot two. So the closer he got, right, exactly. So the the closer he got to me, the taller he got. It was like the jolly black giant. I'm like, what is going on? And I looked up and he was like, so who are you? And I said, I said it just like this. I'm like, I'm Koala. He said, well, hi, Koala. And he walked away. And I was like, oh, my God. He did the accent, too. He did. It was hilarious. Hilarious, and I'm yeah, like, but he's that guy. He's that gracious. He when I when I first met him on set, so we it was the first day of shooting. Just got out of the van. I think I was the last person out of the makeup chair arriving to set, and then he walked. I mean, it, it there was a sea of people because they hadn't started the first shot, so everybody's just everywhere. And through the sea of people, he spotted me. He walked right towards me. Same lying. situation. How you doing? He he's like, that's the newbie. He's like, how you doing? I'm Absolutely. It set the tone for the day and everyone was kind and everyone was nice. Who knows if everybody's a Christian on set? It didn't matter. He was able to just bring this sort of calmness and this peacefulness and respectfulness to his set and then maintain throughout the day, throughout the whole shoot. And so that is like a, a, a level of good power that he has that he presents and exudes. And I think that's just unmatched, untouched. Absolutely, absolutely. I agree with you wholeheartedly on all of that. What do you have coming up next? I am currently directing and producing a social conscious documentary. I'm going to be able to talk more about it later. So hopefully me and you can do this again so I can give you guys more details. It's it's something that I'm really proud of and it's a passion project. I'm praying that it it touches a lot of people and and hopefully uh, changes some lives, changes some perspectives, and just encourages the next generation. So Well, I am looking forward to it, Ms. Quinn, and I thank you so much wholeheartedly for taking time out of your weekend to speak (laughs) with us over here at the Curvy Critic, girl. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, Carla, and please, let's do this again. I love talking to you. (laughs) Absolutely. Medea's Family Funeral, the last film in the Medea franchise, directed, produced, starring, and directed by Tyler Perry is in theaters produced by Lionsgate Pictures right now. This is your girl, Carla Renata, a.k.a. The Curvy Film Critic. Until the next time, love, peace, and hair grease, y'all. Well, all right. I loved talking with Miss Quinn. As y'all could tell, it sounded like we were sitting in my house having a cup of coffee and just going in or a glass of wine, which, you know, whichever part time of the day it is. You know what I'm saying. And we were just kicking it. I love her for that. And yes, Quinn, I will have you back here to talk about your project that you were directing that you wouldn't give me a scoop on when I talked to you the other day. So there's that. <laughs> But thank you. So before I move on to the next interview, I want to address two things that have come up in the chat room. 
Michael B. wanted me to address the Green Book since I brought it up in the intro because he said he wasn't quite sure what it was. So this is specifically for Michael B. So Michael B., what the actual Green Book was, was a book for black motorists, and it was written by Victor Hugo Green. And it was a guidebook to to allow people of color to know where to safely stay, where to safely eat during a time where it was blacks only, well, not blacks only, colored only or white only so that you wouldn't get in trouble so that, you know, somebody wouldn't try to beat you up or kill you or worse. So um, that is what the actual green book was. And it was, it was kind of like, um, it was kind of like a, there's a a travel book called Fromers. It was kind of like a Fromers book for black people. For, to, to travel and, and to tell you how to safely maneuver through the country without having any um, incidents go down. So that's what the actual Green Book is. Um, and then Yasna wanted to talk to me about Rotten Tomatoes not letting uh, any leaking inter- interviews, any leaking reviews come out ahead of the, the pictures. So this is what I have to say about that. When Rotten Tomatoes was allowing people to give their reviews before a picture would come out, it would adversely ref- adversely affect the outcome of the box office for whatever picture that was. If before the film came out, if you saw a commercial and it would say Rotten Tomatoes certified fresh or it would say whatever percentage it was on Rotten Tomatoes or if you went to Rotten Tomatoes and it had a very low rating, people had a tendency to not take matters into their own hands and go see the films themselves and just check out the films on their own and make their own decision about it. They wholeheartedly depended on these ratings at Rotten Tomatoes to determine whether or not they should go and check out a film. I think that's a good thing. I think that people should get back to the place where it's okay to listen to critics like myself, like Scott Menzel, Scott Mance, Jacqueline Coley, uh, Jesse Malton, Leonard Malton, so many others out there that I could pop off at the top of my head, Gray Drake, um, Perry Nemiroff. You know, it's, it's good to listen to someone else's opinion, but at the end of the day, what you feel and what you want to watch and what resonates with you matters most. So I'm glad that they made that resolution to do that because I think it will change the way that people go to the movies. Um, another thing that Michael wanted me to talk about, well, not Michael, um, what was it? Somebody, oh, Yasna wanted me to talk about the Steven Spielberg versus Netflix thing. This is what I have to say about that. I love Steven Spielberg. I'm a huge fan, have been for many, many, many decades. I'm a huge fan of Netflix. You've heard me on this show numerous times talking about what to stream on Netflix and what to watch on Netflix and what I liked and what I didn't like. But this is what I have to say about that particular controversy. I don't think it's cool to hate on a medium that is new. It's just like, it is out of fear. I, th- I feel like Steven Spielberg is doing that out of fear. And I think up until Alfonso Cuaron winning the Oscar for Roma, I don't think people took Netflix too seriously in the industry. Filmmakers like Steven Spielberg and others um, in his realm or in his lane. They didn't take Netflix seriously. Now, Netflix got some Oscars. And they feel like it's going to adversely affect, once again, I'm saying this phrase again, adversely affect the way that movies are seen and produced. And uh, I don't know what other adjective to use, but it's going to adversely reflect, affect 
the way the movie going public deals with movies and the way movies are made. That's what I'm trying to say. The way that movies are made, it will adversely ref- affect that at some point. And so people are reacting out of fear. I say to Steven Spielberg, don't be scared. Embrace it and produce a film and direct one for Netflix. You know, don't beat them. Join them, honey. That's what I have to say about that. (laughs) So moving on to the next interview. So Apollo 11 is a documentary that is produced by CNN Films and Neon. It I saw it at, I think I saw it at, did I see it at TIFF? No. I saw it at Sundance. I saw it at the Sundance Film Festival. And it's directed by Todd Douglas Miller. And I just find it so interesting that Hollywood has this fascination with space. You know, we had First Man last year dealing with that same um, launch of Apollo 11 seen through the eyes of Neil Armstrong and his family, where Claire Foy got an Oscar nomination for that. We saw Hidden Figures a couple of years ago. And then um, we saw Gravity. And, uh, you know, that won a bunch of Oscars and was nominated for a bunch of Oscars. So there's a fascination there. But I'm not going to talk anymore about that. I'm going to let... Todd Douglas Miller talk about that and let him answer the question that I had to him about why Hollywood is obsessed with space. Todd Douglas Miller is the director of Apollo 11, which was acquired right out of the 2019 Sundance Film Festival by Neon and CNN Films. I actually had an opportunity to sit down and talk with Todd about that 11,000 hours worth of footage, the parallels between the two administrations then and now, and that daunting first step on the moon by the three astronauts. Take a listen. I was just wondering if you had any thoughts about the fascination of Hollywood with space, particularly Apollo 11, because there's been three different films, not documentaries, mind you, but three different feature films around that subject. Yeah, that's a great question. It pulls at a couple different things with our humanity. One is your intelligence. Everyone looks up, you see the sky, what's out there? And that really pulls to the exploration part of it. And then there's also the practical sense of it. What are we going to do as a species? Are are we going to be able to survive on the Earth forever? And of course, the Earth's not going to be here forever. Whether that's a hundred, a thousand, a million years from now, who knows? We're going to have to get out there eventually. And to see ways in which we actually do get out there, I think that's fascinated, certainly filmmakers. It's reflected in people going to watch it. For me personally, just being a lover of that science fiction and space, it's something that I like to see depicted. I'll go see every space film out there. (laughs) It's just great. And it's different. It's the unknown and trying to understand uh, what the unknown is. So I think that's really at the the heart of uh, why we were fixated on that. I particularly enjoyed the footage where you saw them coming out of the capsule and the care and precision in which they took to get out of the capsule onto the moon's surface. I don't think I'd ever seen that before. It was a little scary, too, you know, them coming out of that. I was like, I was like, I was like what is happening right now? <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Particularly when I see it on an IMAX screen, it always gets me when Armstrong's coming down the ladder. Yeah. Uh, that scene in particular, we just wanted to just let it, you know, breathe on its own. I'd always seen it depicted in fiction and nonfiction as kind of this big, kind of bombastic scene. I was always curious as to what was it really like, though, that, was that moment, because it had to be terrifying. I mean, forget about landing, but then just stepping outside and walking down that ladder, first steps on another world. That was the- very intimidating. That was totally the part that you are. Right. That was totally the part that got me because I was like, I had seen so many different things around that as we all have over over the decades, but I'd never seen that. And it never even crossed my mind how dangerous and daunting 
taking that step onto that surface is because it's not like you're getting out of an airplane walking, you know, down the the ramp. It's a completely, (laughs) you know what I'm saying? It's like a completely different thing happening. I had never seen footage of all those thousands of people on all those different surfaces watching the the moon landing. I thought, wow, the footage that you provided, which was, I think, 11,000, over 11,000 hours of footage. There was the footage, which was basically like, we're still trying to figure out exactly how much there was, (laughs) because there was so much, (laughs) as far as the footage goes, there was the large format footage, and then we had all the 16, 35 millimeter, a lot of TV stuff, so that was in the hundreds of hours. The audio alone, we were given access to just the mission control was uh, 18,000 hours of Project Apollo. Uh, 11,000 hours of that was specifically uh, Apollo 11. Um, And that was just the the guys in mission control. It was a lot to get through. And speaking of mission control, we saw glimpses of this in the other films that I alluded to at the beginning of the interview, particularly in Hidden Figures. You know, they show mission control and all those people that are in there, but you really don't realize that there are thousands of people that go into making those moon landings successful, making those missions successful. You don't realize it. It takes an army of people to put men up in space and bring them back safely. That was very daunting as well. I thought, wow. That's really like the biggest takeaway, you know, is that people don't realize that this was hundreds of thousands of people spread across tens of thousands of companies that all came together for this one purpose. It was never lost on me while we were working on this project. How many people it took for us behind the scenes just to make this film was nothing compared to <laughs> what it took, you know, for the person on the moon. It's all working together as one. You know, it was very uh, astonishing to me to think about every time we were working on just watching them do their work. This was a big get for President Nixon at the time because he, for most of his presidency, he was not that popular like somebody else we know. So I think it's really interesting in light the assassination of President John F. Kennedy Jr., Nixon was able to take credit for this happening when JFK said shortly after being elected about space travel to the moon, and I quote, he said, we chose to go to the moon. We chose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard, because the goal to serve will organize and measure the best of our energies and skills, because, you know, that challenge is one that we are willing to accept, one we are willing to postpone, one which we intend to win, and the others too. I don't know about you when you revisited this, but when I saw that quote and then saw that he literally was not really getting the credit that he deserved for that coming to fruition and Nixon was like reaping all the benefits, but when I actually saw the footage and saw the three men landing on the moon and the memories of Kennedy and all of that, I had this heart swell in my being about what it is to be reminded to be an American and be proud of our country, to be proud of what we're able to accomplish in the name of science, in the name of space. I'm just wondering, did you have that feeling as well? Yeah, I think the great irony in the film, um, and actually it wasn't us, this is how it happened, but Nixon's name is actually never said in the film. Not by no, him, but not we just see his footage. We hear his, I'm talking to you from the Oval Office, actually the Oval Room, uh, which was called back then. I think the views on Nixon are summarized by the blatant disregard of him 
by the mission controllers who are watching him on the monitor talk to Neil and Buzz on the surface of the moon. It's ironic that he, you know, very graciously have given credit on behalf of humanity, congratulated. But he is the guy, the same person that did away with the space program a few short years later, taking credit for it there. If we frame it in that he represents the presidency and, and everything that is stands for the accomplishment in that moment of putting someone on the moon. Political dances go away. They melt into the background when something like that happens. There was some informal polling that was done by CBS at the time during Mark Cronkite's broadcast where he mentions on it there before the launch, around 50% of Americans were actually for the space program. By the day after the launch, just the launch, that number had risen, risen to 70%. And on July the 20th, the day of the actual landing, that number had risen to 90%. And it just echoes that commitment by JFK earlier in the decade um, yes. to do something, validate that accomplishment. And also, like I said before, you know, uh, reinforces the idea that when all of these people can come together, we, you know, we have the capacity to accomplish something great. And you know, JFK uh, fueled all of that. Uh, um, so it was our intention to always end the film with uh, his words guys in mission control, uh, the people in mission control put his words up on the screen, you know, as mission accomplished. And he said it best himself. I love the quote, I, I love the quote you read, but the one we use in the film, which is a little bit rare, uh, ends with, uh, you know, to do something like this, we must involve in uh, they were, and they did it, and it's amazing. And I think that is a great note to end on. Okay, all right. But thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to speak with me. I wholeheartedly <laughs> appreciated it. I really enjoyed the film. It was really eye-opening and very educational, even though we know how it's going to end, we know how it's going to start. I was just fascinated to learn something new, so thank you for that. Well, thank you so much, Carla, and thanks for spreading the word, too. We really appreciate it. No worries. My pleasure. Wow. I learned so much talking to Todd Douglas Miller. We had the greatest conversation. I truncated both of those interviews because we had so much fun. The interviews went so much longer than they actually, than what I actually played for you guys. But I had a lot of fun. So thank you so much again to Quinn Walters and to Todd Douglas Miller for allowing me to talk to them about Medea's family funeral and Apollo 11. Both of those particular productions or films are in theaters right now. Now, now the chat room wants me to address the Oscars very quickly before I go on to my next little sneak peek um, preview of Captain Marvel. And yeah, there's no video and there's no audio. It'll just be me talking about it. <laughs> but the Oscars, I love the fact that there was no host. I mean, it held, it still ran like three hours and some change. And I'm really trying to understand why it was three hours and some change with no host. But I thought it ran rather smoothly. I felt like um, the performances were, it was just the right amount of performances. Of course, there's always the drama with the in memoriam um, section because there's always somebody left off of the in memoriam section. And somebody on my Facebook page pointed out the fact that Carol Channing was left off the in memoriam section. And somebody that works for the Academy allegedly said that they didn't include her in that montage of people because they felt like her contribution to film wasn't all that great. I don't know who that person was or if they're listening to this 
But that is a travesty. If anyone has made a motion picture and made a contribution to the entertainment industry the way that Carol Channing has, they should be included in that montage. And, um, yeah, that's all I have to say about that. I felt like that was extremely rude and very disrespectful. So that's all I have to say about that. All right, moving on to Captain Marvel. I am all down for the female empowerment. I mean, when Wonder Woman came out, I was losing my little mind. But I cannot wait for Captain Marvel to come out. It will be released in theaters on March 8th, which is coming up this week. So excited. But I did want to tell you guys that Marvel had always has a global press junket. And at the global press junket, in attendance was the entire cast, the entire cast of Marvel's Captain Marvel, including Brie Larson. Um, Annette Benning wasn't there, though. Gemma Chan and uh, Lasana, Lashana, Lasana Lynch. And Lasana is an African-American sister. And apparently there was a, a situation where another sister was supposed to play Maria, but Lashana ended up doing it. And let me tell you something. She is doing her Thing. Her and Brie Larson are doing their thing. I won't go into much detail about it, but what I will tell you is that at the junket, Lynch confessed about campaigning for the role. Look, I'm all about campaigning for a part. If you think it's yours, go for it. What's to stop you? And who's to say that you can't do that? That is what America is all about, girl. Get your part. Good for you, Lasana. And um, she talks about her renewed respect for single mothers because in the, well, I won't tell you. But she has a renewed respect for single mothers um, that she discovered in the process of shooting this film. When the cameras went down, we were like, you know, what is it that you that you walked away with when the camera stopped running? And she said, you know, I have a renewed respect for single mothers. So good for you. Her and Brie Larson, they got along great. Gemma Chan shared about how she feels about embracing that bad girl side because, you know, in Crazy Rich Asian, she's a pulled-up doll. She, she gets cheated on. She has all these things happen to her, and yet she still has to hold up her head with pride, beauty, and grace. Well, she's not doing that in Captain Marvel, but y'all will find out when you see it. And um, you can catch all of the details about Captain Marvel over at my blog, thecurvyfilmcritic.com, and the review when it comes out early Later on in the week, probably midweek is when I'll release it. Probably around March 5th, I'll release that review on Captain Marvel. And then Scott Menzel and I will be here at the Curvy Critic talking about it next week, along with a preview of South by Southwest um, Film Festival. And that will be our 50th broadcast. Can you believe I have done 50 shows of this bad boy? Woo! Time goes by really fast. Thank you so much, BHL, Kevin Undergarl, Dario Kristen, um, Stephen Lemieux. I love saying his name like that. I know I get on his last nerve, but I love that. Steph, who's my girl in the control room today. What's up, Steph? Um, So anyway, let me continue with my reviews. Um, Greta is a Focus Features film that's directed by Neil Jordan. It's in theaters right now, and it stars Oscar nominee Isabel Huppert and Chloe Grace Moretz. <laughs> Let me tell y'all something. This movie is cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. I kind of liken it to a May-December with no romance movie between these two women that experience what love and obsession is all about. And there is this thing where Greta is leaving these bags on the subway for miscellaneous people to pick them up. And there are shenanigans that happen when these people pick up these bags. I won't tell you if you plan on seeing the movie. It's a silly thriller. It is full of laughs. It is full of intrigue. It is full of moments like you going, what, the WTF moments? There's a whole bunch of those, including one that involves an appendage. I won't say what kind of appendage, but there's one involving an appendage. And then there's that restaurant scene where Isabel Huppert, who plays 
Greta loses her freaking mind, but it is off the charts, enjoyable and yummy, and I loved it. It's crazy and delightful. Now, the next film that I saw this week is a film called Transit. And Transit hits theaters, well, hit theaters rather, I should say, past tense, on March 1st. In Nationwide, I believe it goes March 8th. It's directed and written by Christian Petzold. It stars Franz Rogowski and Paula Beer. This film is about a man who flees France during the German invasion. He ends up getting stuck in Marseille's. I think that's how you pronounce it. I've never been to France, so I don't know. But he gets stuck in Marseille's, and he ends up taking on the identity of a dead author. This woman keeps bumping into him, and what he doesn't know at the time is that this woman that keeps bumping into him is actually the dead author's wife. They end up having a torrid affair, and I feel like this film is all about requited love, the kind of unrequited love that you see in films like um, Cold War, which I talked about earlier this year. I love that movie. Um, directed by Paul Pawlikowski. It was also Oscar-nominated. It reminds me of like Cold War and all those film noir films from the 30s that are the bomb.com. It was really, really good. There's a moment where he's singing this childhood song. It is heartbreaking and it, it just it gives you all the feels and you find out that he's trying to make this other child's childhood better, better than his. Um, his the little boy's name is Driss, and he ends up losing the love of his life. It's just, it's a very complicated film. It's dealing with a lot of different issues. It's dealing with refugees. It's dealing with, you know, that's not too different from the immigrant problem that we're dealing with right now. It's dealing with so many different issues. But it's a really well-crafted, well-written, well-directed film, and it is in theaters on March 1st, which is already passed, so you can check it out right now. Last but not least, The Wedding Guest, produced by Dev Patel, Oscar nominee Dev Patel, and IFC Films, is written and directed by Michael Winterbottom. Dev Patel plays Jay, a hired gun who pretends to be a wedding guest, all under the ruse of kidnapping this young lady named Samira, who is played by Radhika Apti. And um, she's cunning, she's smart, and she's kind of operating things on her own terms. But the whole kidnapping thing goes awry, and it's just shenanigans. But the thing that I took away from this film is the fact that Dev Patel is carving out a lane of his own to be hired in Hollywood. Because since Slumdog Millionaire and Lion, they just—not um, Lion, but Slumdog Millionaire and— um, the Marigold Hotel franchise, Hollywood is really not trying to embrace him as an actor. You know, because he's a brown person, I'm pretty sure he's gotten scripts that involve him being a terrorist, a drug dealer, and that kind of thing. And this is a young man who's handsome. He has acting chops. He should be utilized a little bit better. And when he realized, look, if you're not going to utilize me, then I will find projects to utilize myself. So there you have that. Now, Going on to the streaming pick of the week, Leaving Neverland, which I've spoken about on this show before. I saw half of it at Sundance. It is going to be on HBO starting today and tomorrow, dealing with the alleged sexual the, the alleged sexual abuse by Michael Jackson to these two young men, Wade Robson, and I forget the other child's name, but... That will be on HBO. Another thing that's streaming that is really good that I talked about on this show before is TNT's in TNT's I Am the Night. It is that Black Dahlia murder mystery thing that happened like 5,000 years ago. It centers around the daughter of George Hodel, who is allegedly the person who killed the Black Dahlia. So this is from Fauna Hodel's point of view. It is a fantabulous show. You really, really don't want to miss it. It was great. I loved it. Golden Brooks and Chris Pine are 
everything in this show. It is streaming on TNT. The finale will air on March 4th, which is tomorrow, so you want to check that out. Now, let me give my little shout-out to my people in the chat room, which are Yasna, Yasna Cabrieres, and Michael B. I love y'all so much for hanging in there with me. Thank you so much for giving me some suggestions of some things to talk about, because I did miss a few things, so I thank you for that. I also want to let you know that I will not be here in real time on March 10th next week, but... Scott Menzel and I will be pre-taping a show where we will be giving our picks for the South by Southwest Film Festival, which happens every year in Austin, Texas. And at that film festival will be the premiere of Jordan Peele's Us. It's highly anticipated. It's a horror movie written by black people, starring black people. And y'all know I don't do horror, but I'm going to try my best to support a brother in his venture. We will be talking about that, and we'll talk a little bit more about Captain Marvel at that time. So until then, thank you so much for joining me, Carla Renata, the Curvy Film Critic, here for episode 49 at Black Hollywood Live. Tune in on March 10th and talk to me and Scott Menzel about South by Southwest and Captain Marvel We will see you then. Love, peace, and hair grease, y'all. Bye. (laughs) On behalf of our PHL staff, we would like to thank you for tuning in to Black Hollywood Live, the world's first digital broadcast network devoted entirely to urban entertainment and pop culture. Check out our Black Hollywood Live YouTube page for even more great programming and amazing content. And be sure to subscribe and like our channel when you do. I'm your BHL host, Nakia Monet, and you can find me on all social media at Kiki Boom Boom or at Black Hollywood Live. Black Hollywood Live. Hollywood redefined. The views expressed here are those of the host only and do not necessarily reflect the views of BHL or its owners or principals.